Hello and welcome to Joe and Paul's Another Mining Cut podcast. From here in Beaver Creek in Colorado, we are at the Precious Metals Summit, arguably one of the most important uh, junior mining events of the year, particularly in the, for the precious metal space. Hi Joe, how are you? Hey, Paul. Congratulations. Good to see you again. The, the last time we saw each other was at uh, PDAC a year and a half ago, where we were, weren't sure which yeah, bit of body we, we don't have to masks on. bash together yeah. to say hello. Well, it's interesting. Uh, the Precious Metal Summit, uh, I, I, more people I talk to at meetings uh, tell me that the last time they've been outside of Canada, basically, uh, was PDAC. And so a lot of these CEOs. Uh, having traveled. Uh, I think I've met a couple of people who the last time they were physically outside yeah. was probably a year ago. They've been yeah, in a, a box or something for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we've had a good crowd. I mean, given that, like, right before we got here, I was getting cancellations on the non-virtual, on the virtual meetings, which I wasn't taking, because there were a lot of people from, uh, like, Toronto and banks and brokerage firms that just said that they weren't going to send anybody. But in the end, uh, yeah, I think we've got a decent crowd. Yeah, um, there's obviously noticeably fewer people than in past years, but there are benefits to that. You can actually get to the cappuccino machine and, and get a decent coffee I don't in the think morning. We had a cappuccino machine downstairs. Oh, it's always been downstairs. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, you can't see it because of the crowd and the crush. Yes. Okay. Um, but the, the people here that I've had some, you know, two days in now, um, had some really good meetings, learning a lot as always, which is obviously the uh, the key point of being here. Um, I'm sure the same for you. Um, I've, I've been sort of catching up on stories, I've been following and, and getting updates, um, and also a little bit of uh, uh, being exposed to sort of new stories, but you know, just picking up on the overall feeling and gossip of you know how people feel the the sector is going at the moment. Yeah, well, I would I would say the benefit, uh, you know, ignoring COVID uh, in terms of the risk, the benefit of these uh, conferences is getting all that information about something you're learning about or want to learn about from five different sources uh, who have you know, different motivations, different biases, and then hopefully you can come to some kind of conclusion or collective knowledge about what's going on. Uh, uh, you know, such as, you know, like that article you did about the silicon area, you know, I now I've, you know, I've, I've met with Corvus, I, I know what's happening there. I, I, I met that was my interesting, friend. I met with Jeff as well, and he, yeah. yeah. And I met my friend who was the VPX for, uh, for I know, well, Angles, and he wouldn't say anything. On Cool. On Cool, yeah. he was talking about what they're doing, drilling at the Seahorse. And, and then, you know, when they're going to come out with the resource and also mention how many rigs Anglo had and that they were doing 3,000 foot holes and going really deep. So all that information comes in and, and then you go, okay, you know, that's good. You know, and, and, you know, they don't have any bias one way or the other to tell you or not because they're not hiding any, any of their knowledge. But it's additional layers that help Absolutely. build out a picture. And you wouldn't yeah. get that in a Zoom call. Yeah. You know, and, and so that's one of the huge benefits of this sort of thing. One of the interesting things is, you know, gold is about $1,800 an ounce, still at very historically high levels. It's been there, give or take, uh, for, you know, more than a year now. Um, for producers, it's, it's, it's great times. They're making money hand over fist, most of them, putting the money away. But it does seem to be a, a different story for non-producing junior explorers. 
Gold price is riding high, but share prices have come off in you know, 30, 40% since uh, this time a year ago. So you've got a, a, a dichotomy there, a, a healthy gold price, but junior stock prices are suffering for, for juniors. And and if we go back into this and I've talked to this uh, with my subscribers, is that you know most evaluations and all that are dependent on you know what they think about the future for gold price, and that's where I would say the producers are being impacted because people are saying, okay, the interest rates are going up, that can only be bad for gold, and my biggest exposure is in gold, it's gold equities, and that's how I play it, I'm going to be selling or reducing my position. But for the junior explorers, it's a bit of a different story, because like we know that the producers, you know, the big ones, have, have book reserves at 1200 1250 their balance sheets are great, they're generating cash flow, free cash flow. You know, and and they're looking very good in an environment that could come all the way back down to fourteen hundred. Yeah. You know, not not that anybody's asking for it to go, but you know, they're pretty happy with where it's at right now. And then the question is, well, but they have no pipelines. And so, you know, the the uh, interview we, we did with uh, Rob Kirchmanoff of of Barrick was that hey, you've got a five production plan. Is that is that the new growth? Or you know, and then he said, where where are the projects going to come from? And it's not isolated to Barrick. It's 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 you know Newmont. Uh, it's it's anybody. But then you look at the mid tiers, and they're the ones that want to show growth. So they're very acquisitive. But I think COVID's pulled a little bit of that back. But you know, if you look at Equinox's presentation step functions to go from where they started at 150 to 200,000 to where they want to get to which is a million and most of its acquisition yeah so I there's no way I don't think that some of these assets that are free that are really good won't get taken out it's just a matter of time well let's go into this valuation a little bit um, I mean it always brings me back to you know what shark tank and the guys on shark tank always say your valuation is what you're worth today what you may be worth tomorrow, no matter how good your projections are, and that seems to be something that well it escapes a lot of junior CEOs because they're always trying to put their valuation on what they may be in a year's time or two well, years time when the market's telling you today your valuation is. The thing is that if, you know if you, if you know about a discounted cash flow, the models, the NADs, and it's all about the discounted, the risk weighted adjustment on future cash flows. Hard to do that with an exploration company that just spends money. It's all about discovery. It's hard to put a valuation on an exploration company. When it has a resource, you can try the EV per ounce just to do a metric. But then, was this heap leach or is this milling with refractory? Is this in Colombia or is this in the DRC? You know, it's hard. Not every know. gram is equal. Yeah. Not every not every ounce is equal. So, so then you get to the point where the important thing is all these companies that we're talking about that are generating free cash flow, want growth, want to keep issuing dividends, maybe looking at a flat production profile to growth. They're looking at like. How do I feed my profile? Where do I get the next asset? And so if you find something, despite the market being negative on gold, the your suitor, the buyer of your ultimate equity, who might be your M&A suitor, is less concerned about that. But that's not going to show up in your share price. You could be still trading at a discount and get lots of selling on good news flow on a, on, on a, on a, on a really good drill hole. And a lot of people that I talked to were complaining about that. Like, we put out this drill hole, it was fantastic, and the share price went down. You know, and then there's a little bit of concern, like how much working capital do I have? 
you know, what catalyst can I actually ride on, and will that actually be a catalyst that moves my share price? So those are the, like you're saying, the issues that juniors are doing. Yeah, but obviously in that, you know, that situation, your companies are operating within a, a broader market, and what happens in the broader market is going to have perhaps the overriding impact. Um, having said that, there are companies who put out results, and uh, a good example just this week would be I80 Gold and the deal it did with Barrett yeah. Gold. In, in a day where the market, the gold price went down, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 dollars, their went share up, price say, went up 10 or 15 percent. On, on six to seven times volume, and that's yeah. what you want to see. You want to see high volume. You want to see people interested. But the thing is that if you get a really good drill hole, you do a transaction like I80, you know, people notice. And, and, and that wasn't driven by what the gold price was doing that day, which wasn't much in the GDX and GDXJ that broke down. But they can see the value add. They say, oh, wow, you, you're going to get, you know, an autoclave. You know, who else has got autoclaves besides Nevada gold mines? Nobody. You know, yeah. Jared Canyon's got a roaster, but it's in the middle of nowhere. And toll milling would be hard for me. Here you have one right on the highway. You know, and, and it's permanent. Yeah. So, you know, there's nobody else in Nevada. Or in that part of the U.S. that has one. So an interesting observation there is um, Barrett Gold, or let's more specifically Nevada Gold Mines, has gone from being the only game in town in terms of processing the ability to process the factory or to creating a competitor. But but it, it's not for me. It's it's not a huge competitor, but they were not willing to let go that leverage to having all the permitted capacity to deal with refractory ore that's non-carbonaceous in that part of the world. They were very reluctant. But what was happening was the South Arturo joint venture was getting more important in terms of what they were doing in their gold strike complex to the point where they said, okay, we'll do a swap. We need to run this. Yeah. We need to run this. We need to run this the way we want to run it. We don't need to keep talking to you. Yeah. So to get that and nobody else, nobody else in Nevada, wherever, had that kind of leverage to make that kind of transaction. And the Lone Tree was actually an asset from Newmont, not Barrick. I guess one of the interesting things there is that in the past, up until relatively recently, anybody in Nevada with refractory oil was always potentially trying to um, condition their project to, to Barrick and make it attractive to Barrick. Now they've got another door to knock well, on. Well, here's the thing is before Nevada gold mines, they could play Barrick against Newmont. But now with Nevada gold mines, I mean, with Barrick and Newmont being together, they can't play that. And Jarrett Canyon's a non-starter. So then you're never going to look. I mean, I'm not talking just about juniors. I'm talking about mid-tiers. You know, the only, you know, the major mid-tier there, you got mid-tier is uh, SSR Mining, but they're doing open pit heat bleach. You know, Equinox is in California, all heat bleach. You know, but nobody can do refractory oil. Cool mining. Yeah, or, or Allied Nevada, sorry, Highcroft. Now, you know, they want to do a different method, but I listened into their pros uh, presentation, and one of their options now, now they're actually thinking about a pox you know, so uh, people are, you know, uh, infrastructure permits, especially in places like the U.S., are very important because uh, you can have all the money you want, but to uh, get a permitted, uh, you know, uh, uh, autoclave that could take three and a half thousand tons per day, it's like. Face value that puts I80 in a, a pretty healthy position for Hence the ability the to do deal. Yeah, it's the market's reaction because that is unique, and they use their comparative advantage 
with Nevada Gold Mines to make that transaction. So I, I think that was a great deal and people saw it for what it was. And so that's positive for the market that, you know, even, you know, thankfully the good transaction and the good news still sees a bump. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's carry on the theme of sort of transactions. Um, you know, people have been talking about, um, you know, pretty much for the last two or three years since the Barrick Rangold merger, since uh, Newmont and uh, Gold Corp, there's still the need for consolidation. The, the intermediate uh, sector of the gold market is still overpopulated. Obviously, there's a lot of juniors um, lower down the chain as well. Um, you know, the, the, the bigger companies, the producers, they're depleting their resources. Transactions are slow coming through. Um, the need for transactions for M&A activity is there. When's it going to happen? What, what have you been hearing here? So, uh, if we just talk about precious metals, we have been seeing more M&A in the base metals and the battery metals. Uh, but yeah, there has been a little bit of a posse with uh, M&A on the precious. But what we got to remember is that we've seen some incremental transactions, and I think that. Right now, what we're seeing is that if somebody has a processing facility, the central thematic appears to be that I don't want to run out of ore and I don't want to hit my reclamation bond. I want to find more ore. So that incremental, where a junior has not a standalone project, but it's near my facility, that's definitely something that's getting taken out. Somebody phrased it to me as uh, a few years ago that the majors were looking for, for projects, deposits, three to five million ounces. Now they're perhaps more focused on uh, a deposit that can add a million ounces bowled onto something they already have uh, about yeah, to build. It's two different thematics. Uh, one thematic is that, is the five million, three to five million ounce in a greenfield spot, which can justify a standalone. But a one to two, they might have not have thought of before until now when their processing facilities are running out of feed. Now it makes more sense. Now they need the feed. And, and you know, also like with the I-80 transaction, how they actually make that feed and organize that feed, it makes it easier when they own 100% of the asset than they have to talk to somebody. Now there is, is a, a few regions where that competitive tension if you like is building you know in Ontario and Quebec for example well I'm not sure I'm sorry I'm to interrupt but I'm not sure if there's much competitive uh, uh, attraction on the boltons because the bolton you make it attractive to you well my, my point was you know is a majors looking to pick up property and projects in in those areas but uh, you know a lot of tie kicking going on a lot of corporate teams uh, you know sniffing out what's there and um, what, what deals may be able to be made but nobody's pulling a trigger yet nobody's pulling the trigger um, why do you think uh, the, the, the majors are waiting well I mean the big big companies have had a lot of diluted uh, you know M&A and there's still that history and people still remember some of it so they're probably less willing to make a major transaction until they dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's which is taking longer without being able to do much due diligence on projects unless they have an operating mine there so there's there's that and and then the other issue is that you know uh, you know I need you know when do I need that feed if I don't need that feed for 10 years I'm not pulling the trigger because they they need to prove it to me and I could just sit here and wait forever so let the junior continue de-risking on their dollar them. and they're asking oh yeah that's nice show me your data 
why don't you do this? Do some more metallurgy. Drill some holes over there. Do this. And then, you know, you're sort of playing the puppeteer there with the junior. Well, another aspect I heard along those lines is that, you know, we, we mentioned that the sort of the bifurcation between, you know, the gold price and the sort of junior equity prices. And some people think that's only going to continue to increase i.e. the junior equities are only going to continue to, to get cheaper um, we're obviously coming in towards tax loss selling so why pay for something today when it's likely to be cheaper tomorrow well especially if you're the only one adding value if whatever they do they can never build it because it's not big enough you say well I'm the only one that's going to because them toll milling it to me is not non, is a non-starter for them because they're not going to make a lot of money so because I'm going to be very egregious on toll because they've got nowhere else to spend it I, I mean, take it, and they're not going to raise, let's say, $200 million for a standalone piece. And they don't have the people to build it, you know, so I'll just wait. Well, I guess that kind of, in some ways, brings the conversation around again, because we're, we're getting back to that sort of valuation we talked about earlier, because um, that being the case, juniors are obviously burning through their cash, and at a certain point, they'll burn through it, and we'll need to raise again, and, uh, um, you know, dilution, valuation. Um, is it, you know, many companies here that are, um, getting down to their sort of six months, last six months of money, they're going to have to come back to the market at some point. Um, I imagine there's a lot of companies in a, in a very difficult position there, sort of uh, trying to weigh up what their valuation is today, their share price and market cap is today. Is that going to go up? Is it going to go down? How dilutive will it be for them to get the money to do their next year, two years' work? So if we look at dilution, I mean, as, as investors in equity, we always look at the denominator which is how many shares, you know. But we also have to think about the numerator, which is the asset. And so there's two ways of diluting yourself. There's one, issuing your shares, or selling part of the asset. And that could be a joint venture, that could be a royalty, that could be a stream, that could be something like that. And so when you're trading at what you think is a big discount to what you think you're worth, you may be reluctant to issue shares when you could sell a 1% royalty where you don't have any royalties on the asset, you know, at, at a big premium. Because, and, and then that will take you over a year or two and then get you some catalyst that will bring your share price up such that you could issue equity then. Isn't that a, a very risky strategy? Because uh, you know, one thing you hear from the majors, they hate royalties because it takes away yeah. their potential upside. And that, and that was the interview that yeah. we did with them. Uh, yeah. But when you talk to the major, that is always coming from their perspective. Don't do of that. Course. Yeah. But from the from the junior, well, you give me money at a forty or fifty percent premium. No, they're not going to do it. Okay, this is my only option. So unless you're willing to step in, don't ask them. You know, to to, to do uh, something that you know, the market's not saying that they can do. Well, I, I, one understands the, the the phobia about dilution, because obviously a lot of management teams are heavily invested in the companies as well, so it impacts them personally in addition to professionally. But um, can that get into the situation where management isn't necessarily making effective decisions because they're more worried about their own personal wealth than? sourcing the funds to guarantee the, the, the future work programs of a company. Okay, like any CEO, and CEO is nothing I ever want to be in, because they have to deal, like the difference is when you're, when you're dealing with, with equity, and you're dealing with share price and the share price value, that's almost one stakeholder you're concerned about. 
are the people that own your shares. When you become a CEO, you have to not only work with the shareholders, you might have debt holders, you might have a streaming firm, you've got the people at site, you've got your own employees, you can have you know, a lot of stakeholders and you have to manage all those concerns. Do you, can you keep these people employed? You know, where are you going to look for more assets and all that? And you got to play that game and then, things, then you have to fund that plan. And then the question is, and every CEO is going to think about funding it just through equity or not funding it through equity. You know, people would say, well, don't do a stream, you know, uh, versus issuing equity. And when we go back to uh, Rio 2, when they were you know, to build their project in, uh, in, in Chile, uh, they didn't think that their share price was at a point where they could raise the kind of money that they could with a stream. And so they went with a stream. They, they thought that that was a lower cost of capital than raising equity. A stream is easily 15% cost of capital, so they're thinking that diluting at that point is going to be a higher cost, and that's what you have to I, I guess there's, there's no sort of cut and dried answer to that. Is. And, uh, there's yeah. never is. So when when you look at how somebody, you know, uh, funds themselves, you know, uh, you know, uh, take the critical point of view is what were their options, and some people may not have had that. But did you see that? Um, some CEOs delay, defer that decision to such an extent that they end up putting the, their company into a financial hardship, into a position where anybody that's likely to do an equity financing knows they're up against the ropes and really hammers them because they didn't raise early enough. Well, I would say that if you've got a development project and the price isn't right with respect to you building it, hold it. You know, because if the price isn't going, if your valuation isn't going high enough, and uh, you're not going into that market, you're building into that, uh, you know, it's going to be harder to fund it. And when you come out, you might not generate as much free cash flow, so it might be better just to burn uh, the, the minimum and wait. Okay, Let, let's follow the, the, the thread of development stage projects now, because uh, I've spoken to a few developers, and uh, one of the things that's starting to come in is inflation of inputs, you know, steel prices, fuel prices, cement prices, um, lead times, and long lead items are getting longer, so the potential for, I won't say capex blowouts, but capex is increasing um, beyond what was in the feasibility or whatever the yeah. economic uh, study was that they're basing yeah, the decision on. I wouldn't say right now that there's like plethora of development projects that are all coming on online, but in specific spots, uh, you know, there's just not enough people, and that lack of human resource has been a theme that's been going for more than a decade in the resource sector, and it's hitting potentially harder now, you know, and, and now if you have a region, like let's say Ontario, you're, you're, you're Cote Lake's going to be built, uh, Magino's going to be built, uh, and Equinox is talking about building hardware. So it's three major projects that are going to be built around the same time, you know, and then you think, well, where are they going to get all those people, you know, and, you know, the inflation that's going to be related to all that, you know, and so we could see, and we always do see, 30% capex plus. A junior doesn't have the capacity, usually, to deal with that unless they really want to build it and understand the idea of working capital. Yeah. And, and you know, we saw that with... Uh, What's that company? Uh, what was it USA, America, USA Gold and Silver? Gold and America's Gold and Silver. Yeah, at, at Relief Canyon. So they were heat leaching. They put too much carbonaceous material on the heat bleach. Didn't get the recoveries. Ran out of money. They had to shut it down. You know, and, and that can happen. But if you don't have the working capital, you know, it's hard to inject more capital and make it right. 
Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's always going to be an issue for the single asset developer. Um, Nevada Copper's had similar issues. Uh, yeah. Victoria Gold yeah. has had issues. Um, even even pure gold mining. Uh, have, yes, had they issues. just raised money. Yeah, they, they just, just did a twenty yes, million broad deal. Bought deal. Yeah. So it's not easy. It's not easy. Yes, it's not easy, people. <laughs> that could be a good point to stop. I think it's not easy. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Paul. Thank you, Joe. Pleasure seeing you again, and uh, you know, great discussion. A lot of uh, information. A lot of uh, people here. Um, it's good to sort of get closer to the beast once again. That's right. All right. Thank you for joining us. Hopefully this was helpful. Yeah, that, that's all for us today on uh, Joe and Paul's Mining Podcast. Join us again soon for the next one. Thank you. Cheers.